We're going to learn so much about Jesus and about how to follow him in these sacred pages. And I'm really excited, excited to get started. And the book even starts out really exciting. It begins with a 17-verse genealogy. I don't know about you, but I tend not to get all excited about genealogies. They're kind of meh for me. Now, my mom loves genealogy. If you know my mom, that's one of the things that she just absolutely loves. There's family trees and going to courthouses and going to cemeteries and figuring all that. Yesterday, I asked her a simple genealogical question about our family tree because some of our some of my relatives were some of the first settlers over in Dubois, okay? It, 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 the name is Schaefer. So if you know some of those Schaefers from over Dubois Way, uh, I got some of those in my family tree. I thought I might share a little bit of that with you. I, so I sent my mom a question, and she sent me a long email with three attachments. <laughs> I don't know how you feel about genealogy. But the Jews of Matthew's day would feel more like my mom does about genealogy than like I do when they encountered the opening words of Matthew chapter 1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's the first sentence or the first phrase, the first verse of Matthew chapter 1. When they read those words, they would have sat up. And started to pay attention. Their ears would have perked up. They would have leaned forward. They would have been like, what? Did you say genealogy? About whom? Jesus? Who's that? Jesus Christ, Matthew says. Christ means Messiah, anointed one. The son of David, the son of Abraham. They would have said, whoa, those are big words. Those are big claims. See, we're used to those words. We've heard this before, right? But imagine being a first century Jew and hearing those words for the first time. Who do you think this person is? Who is this book about? By dropping these names, you know what you're saying? You're saying that this Jesus person is the goal and climax of all of Israel's history. You're saying that the Messiah has arrived and he's on the scene This week, my son Andrew turned 16, and we went down to the DMV for him to take his knowledge test to get his learner's permit to start driving. He passed. Start praying for me now, okay? (laughs) And the guy behind the counter would not take my word for it that Drew was Andrew Charles Mitchell, age 16. He wanted ID. He wanted documentation. He wanted proof. He wanted to see these credentials, this birth certificate that said when he was born and what his name was. He wanted to see a social security card or his passport. We brought them all along. This genealogy is one form of Jesus' ID. It's a presentation of his legal and royal and spiritual qualifications, credentials. It's a presentation of his legal and royal and spiritual credentials, a presentation that would have gotten the attention of a first century Jew. It's not arranged like we do genealogies today. It's not focused on dates or chronology. 
or shoehorning in all of the irrelevant data that Matthew could find that might be connected in some way. No. Instead, Matthew carefully arranges his material and deliberately presents it in a highly stylized way to make his theological argument. It's good history, but it's history done a different way than we're used to. It's fascinating when you study it to see what Matthew includes and what he leaves out. I mean, the genealogy in Matthew 1 is significantly different in places than the genealogy in Luke chapter 3, which we did several years ago. And they are both the true genealogies of the same man. I used to think that was because Luke was Mary's genealogy and Matthew was Joseph's. And that's possible, but I think it's unlikely. I think they're both Joseph's genealogy. But Luke goes through the biological, the DNA line, and Matthew, what we're looking at today, goes through the line of royal succession, and then they meet at the end. And there's probably some Leverite marriages in there too. They're both really good history, but they are tracking it in very different ways than we are used to doing. To get what Matthew is saying by giving us this genealogy, we've got to learn to think like a first century Jew. We've got to put ourselves in the shoes of someone who has been waiting a very, very long time for God's promises to be fulfilled, for God's perfect King to come, and for God's salvation to be accomplished. Do you have some blank pages in the middle of your Bible between the Old Testament and the New? For 400 years, there's been no Scripture, no prophetic voice breaking the silence God is effectively silent. And now Matthew comes on the scene and writes a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Let's pray together and then try to capture a little of the excitement that this genealogy would have kindled in its first readers. Would you pray with me? Father, This is anything but dry and boring to you. And for its first readers, it would have been edge-of-the-seat excitement. We probably can't get that excited about it. But we can get a little. We can get more engrossed in it, more captured with our attention focused than we ever have before if you do it. Would you work your... Would your Holy Spirit work in our hearts that we would see who Jesus is maybe like never before? Maybe for the first time or maybe for the, in the way that we need today to get it, who Jesus is. We pray this in His name. Amen. Okay. So notice in verse 1, that Matthew makes three big claims about Jesus. He says that Jesus is the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You see that in verse 1? Well, then he sets out to prove that, and really he does it in the opposite order. Son of Abraham, son of David, the Christ. What I want for us to do this morning is to step down through these three kind of paragraphs or sets of genealogies, and for each one, make one major point of application for our lives today. 
In verse 17, Matthew is going to say that he gives us three, he's given us three sets of 14 generations. Three sets of 14 generations. And that's maybe so that we can memorize them. A little mnemonic device to keep it straight. Or maybe he's actually emphasizing something else by doing it that way, which I'll try to show you in just a little bit. Now let's take the first one. This is verses 2 through 6, that's, and, which starts with Father Abraham. And that's interesting too, because Matthew starts with Father Abraham. Who did Luke start with? Anybody remember? Starts with Jesus, and he works all the way back to Adam, and then to God. Okay? But Matthew flows his genealogy in the other direction, and he starts not with Adam, but with Abraham. Remember Abraham? We've talked about him a lot this year in connection with the book of Galatians. Abraham shows up for the first time in the book of Genesis. Abraham is called by God to leave Ur of the Chaldees and go to what, is now, what we now call the promised land. Why is it called that? Because God promised it to Abraham. Do you remember the promises of the Abrahamic covenant? By the way, if you know your Old Testament, the book of Matthew will make a lot more sense than if you've never read your Old Testament. One of the reasons I'm glad we're doing Matthew now is because we've preached through Genesis, Exodus, all the way up through First and Second Kings. What did God promise Abraham? Three things. Here's your, here's your quiz. Land, offspring, and blessing. That's right. Offspring, land, and blessing. And the whole big story of the Old Testament has been the long and winding path to see those promises fulfilled right? Genesis. At the end of Genesis, how many people are there in Abraham's family? At the end of Genesis. They go down. Good guess. It's 70, right? There's, there's 70 people that go down into Egypt. How much land do they own? Just a burial plot, right? That's all Abraham owns. Sarai is buried there. Everybody else has moved Uh, has come down into Egypt. They're actually out of the promised land at the book of Genesis. How much blessing have they experienced by the end of Genesis? Just a little bit. There's a whole lot more to come. God promised that all of the nations of the earth would be blessed through Abraham and his seed. And what did Galatians teach us about that? Galatians 3.16 The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, Paul says, the Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is whom? Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the Son of Abraham, He will realize all of God's promises. Because Jesus is the Son of Abraham, He will realize all of God's promises. He's the one. He's the one through whom all of God's promises will come true. That's what Matthew is claiming in in these verses. Matthew is saying, we found the one. The one that fulfills Genesis 12, fulfills Genesis 15, Genesis 18, Genesis 22. We've been waiting a long time. But the son of Abraham has arrived. That's like 2,000 years from Abraham to Jesus There are lots of sons of Abraham. But that's not what Matthew is saying. He's not saying that Jesus is a Jew. He's saying that Jesus is the Jew. And that all blessing is found in Him. 
So he starts to give the line. Look at verse 2. Abraham, father of the promise, the one of the promise came. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Those names should be very familiar to you. If they aren't, then go read Genesis again. Get to know those names. The promise is given and it's passed down. First to Isaac. And then not to Esau, but to Jacob, Yaakov. And then to all of Jacob's sons. How many sons did he have? Twelve, right? The twelve tribes of Israel. But Matthew singles out... There's twelve tribes of Israel. But Matthew singles out one of them. Why? Why why does he single out Judah and not Joseph? Because it's through the tribe of Judah that the ruler would come. Remember Genesis chapter 49. The lion of the tribe of Judah. Remember a few years ago when we tracked that lion together all the way through the pages of Scripture? It's Jesus. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah. Then, verse 3, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, the twins, whose mother was Tamar. Whoa, 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 stop. That's very unusual. Back in that time, it was very unusual to include the names of women in genealogies. You might include a queen or two. We saw some queens back in the books of Kings. But this lady, Tamar, you know what she did, right? She dressed up as a prostitute to trick her wicked stepfather into siring these twins to carry on her line and to carry on the promise. You don't see that very often in a genealogy. And in the Holy Scriptures, no less. That's different. Why do you think Matthew includes this lady who, while not acting righteously, was acting more righteously, according to Judah, than he was? And she was a Canaanite. A Canaanite. Why did she make it into Jesus' genealogy? You know what? There are five women in this genealogy. Not just Tamar. And they are conspicuous. Four of them are foreigners. At least three of them were sexually promiscuous. And their children weren't necessarily what we would call quite legitimate. In many ways, these women were used. They were treated shamefully. With very little representation and advocacy and basic dignity. When you read what what happened to Tamar. These women probably, some of them at least, would have used the hashtag MeToo were they on social media today. These women are in the bloodline of the Messiah. And Matthew wants to show us that. Why do you think? Keep following the line. Verse 3. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Abinadab. Now we've gotten into the times of Exodus and Numbers. Abinadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Are those names familiar to you? Some of them. Here we've now reached the book of Joshua and Judges. By the way, by the way, Matthew is skipping lots of names. Okay? He's not trying to give you every single link between Abraham and Joseph. There are hundreds of years going on here. And that's normal. The word father or, or begat, if you have the old King James Version. By the way, 
There's a book in our library called The Ballad of Matthew's Begats by Andrew Peterson. It's a great kids book that gives you this genealogy in song form. Bluegrass uh, version of this genealogy sung by Andrew Peterson. I highly recommend this, parents, for you to, to use with your kids. Begat is that word for father or sire. In the, in the old King James English, uh, or in any, in it, we don't have a word that means what this word means. Okay? We use father. It really means ancestor, right? Father, grandfather. It shows line of descent, not necessarily just one step in that line of descent. Was the father of is the best we can do right now. Same thing with whose mother was in verse 5. It's, in verse 5 it says Rahab the prostitute. Do you remember her from the book of Joshua? She hid the spies. When I was a kid, I loved the flannel graph of that. There was the flax, and, and we'd stick the spies underneath the flax, flannel graph, and then she let them get away. I'm glad that we didn't have flannel graph to say what her home was like. She believed in the God of Israel. She let the spies get away, and then they came back for her. They rescued her, and she became a part of Israel. In fact, she married into Israel. Her descendant was an upright man named Boaz. Is that a familiar name to you? Because he married whom? Ruth. That's right. Verse 5. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. Now, before we get into King David and the second set of genealogies, let's remember what Matthew is proving with the first set. All along, Matthew is showing that Jesus is the son of Abraham par excellence. And because he's the son of Abraham, he will be God's instrument to realize all of God's promises for Israel and for the nations. In other words, let me put it this way, Jesus is where the blessing is. Jesus is where the blessing is. God is faithful. God always keeps His promises. And He's made some big ones. And sometimes it seems like those promises are never going to come true. You might be feeling that right now in your life. You might feel stuck. Are the promises of God ever going to come true for me? But those promises, even the big ones, are yes and amen in Jesus. He will fulfill them all. So this is a call to be patient and to, like Abraham, trust God and wait on His promises to be revealed in His way and in His time and to believe that they have arrived in the coming of Jesus. Don't go anywhere else. Jesus is where the blessing is. Now this next set of genealogies is very important to Matthew. This is where his telling of the story diverges from Luke's genealogy and to some degree from the genealogy in 1 Chronicles. And I think it's because Matthew wants to emphasize the royalty of Jesus. He is the son of David par excellence. He's not just the son of Abraham. He's the son of David. In verse 6, Matthew calls David King David. And, and David is the only one in Matthew's genealogy to have his title listed. 
There are many other kings in the genealogy, but he's the only one called king in this list. I think that's important. I think that's important because in verse 1, Matthew made a big deal about Jesus being the son of David. Underline. Capital. Bold. 38 point font. In other words, Jesus is the king of kings. Right? He's the fulfillment not just of Genesis 12 and 15 and 18 and 22. He's also the fulfillment of 2 Samuel 7. Do you remember when we studied that a few years ago? We sometimes call it the Davidic covenant. That King David would have a descendant that would be the king that would reign over Israel perfectly and have an eternal kingdom. Great David's greater son. Remember those pictures? From the books of Kings? Some of you are like, oh, flashbacks. Oh no. The kings had just one job. Lead the nation in covenant faithfulness. How many of the kings were two thumbs up? Not very many. Start with David. He's presented as the king. But look at verse 6 again. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. How'd that happen? Matthew had to put that in there. He doesn't even name her. He names her husband's name to bring out the shame. Bathsheba, Mrs. Uriah. David was a murderer and an adulterer. That was the lowest point in his behavior, and it led to the lowest points in his life. How about Solomon? Solomon was pretty good there for a while, building and dedicating the temple. Remember the temple and all that gold? Writing those songs. And all those proverbs exercising that phenomenal wisdom. But then he just about lost it. Marrying all those foreign wives, bowing down to other gods. I like to think Solomon came back and that Ecclesiastes tells us that story. But he wasn't two thumbs up. Verse 7. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, thumbs down. Kingdom splits. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Those names should be familiar to you too. We just went over all of them and the rest of the ones that Matthew skips back in 2016. Like a broken record. So many thumbs down. A few bright ones. A little thumb up every once in a while. Asa, Uzziah, Hezekiah, Josiah. He was probably the best of those named. But so many thumbs down and down and down until the exile was inevitable. They're no longer in Egypt, but they're no longer in the land. Now they're in Babylon. Where are these promises going? But they were the kings. And where there is a kingly line, there is hope. Because God told David he'd always have a king. 
Remember last year's Advent readings and sermons? They were from Isaiah chapter 11. The Trudes read the first verse of that to us last week. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Jesus is the, is the son of King David. And because of that, he will rule all of God's kingdom. This exile they're going into, it will come to an end. And he will be the, the end of that exile. The book of Lamentations that we looked, about, looked at a couple weeks ago as the, the temple was destroyed, Jerusalem was sacked, and Jeremiah was just crying buckets. All that's going to be reversed. Jesus' kingdom will come and it will last forever. That's what Matthew's saying with this genealogy. He's saying, Isaiah 9, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on what? What will he reign on? David's throne. David's throne. And over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. That's what Matthew is saying with this genealogy. He's saying that the time of thumbs-down kings is over because the perfect descendant has come. When these kings are at their best, they remind us of Jesus. And when they're at their worst, they remind us of why we need Jesus. And Matthew says, here's Jesus. The king has come. His rule and reign will be perfect. He will reign in righteousness. I long for that. Don't you? My personal application of that beyond longing for the return of the king is to submit myself again to his lordship. Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. He says that at the end of this book, Gospel of Matthew. And that means that you and I should act like it. We should obey everything that He has commanded of us. Because His reign and rule are perfect, we can't go wrong by following Him. It's always the right thing to do. Repentance and redirection and submission is always appropriate before the King of Kings. Skip down to verse 17. I want to show you one other thing about Jesus being the Son of David. Verse 17 says, Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. Now, I always thought that meant that he was saying that's all the generations there were in those time periods. That's not what he's saying. He's actually saying that's all the generations I'm listing for you in each of those three eras. He's saying, did you catch how I did that? Did you see what I did there? That's what he's saying. I'm listing for you three sets of 14 generations. 14. That's seven. Seven's a perfect number. Times two. That's doubled perfection. And perfection's on the way. And those three eras, from Abraham's promises to the Davidic promises, to when it all fell apart, to when Jesus came to put it all back together, he says, All that's over with, and it's all been building up, and now it's showtime. And there might be another hidden message there. 
what, what, uh, what scholars call gematria, which is hidden, number, hidden messages with numbers. Now, I don't believe in very many hidden messages in the Bible. I think God put them all right there in plain sight for us to see. But I also think that the first readers would catch the subtle stuff too. Like the fact that in Hebrew, letters have a numerical value, and the number 14 is the numerical value of the name, you want to guess? David. And which is the 14th name in Matthew's genealogy? King David. Coincidence? Maybe. Maybe not. If it is a coincidence, I'm sure Matthew's pretty happy about it. Jesus is the son of David. And because of that, he will rule all of God's kingdom forever. One last set. Verses 12 through 16. See if you know any of these names. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, Abiud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Atzor, Atzor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Eliud, Eliud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Matan, Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Did you know those names? I didn't. Not most of them. Most of those names don't appear anywhere else in Holy Scripture. You might have known the names Shealtiel and Zerubbabel if you're a Bible student. Zerubbabel rebuilt the rubble, right? That's the way that we remember that. Zerubbabel rebuilt the rubble when they came back from the exile. Most of the men in verses 12 through 15 are unknown to us because there was no Scripture being written during their lifetime. This is during those years we call the silent years. The Old Testament was over. The new had not yet come. But God was still at work. Quietly. Very quietly. A man named Joseph got married to a woman named Mary and adopted her son. We're going to learn next week that before they ever came together, she was found to be pregnant. The word whom in verse 16 is feminine. Jesus was born of Mary, but not of Joseph. He was the husband of Mary, it says, but it doesn't say he was the biological DNA father of Jesus. He was the adoptive father of Jesus. He was the legal father of Jesus. Of Jesus. And all of those men who came before him lent him their Abrahamic and Davidic lines of succession to him. And this one was born Jesus, born of a virgin, another woman in the genealogy. Not a promiscuous one, this one, a pure one. In fact, she had never laid with a man, and yet she gave birth to a son the son of Father Abraham, the son of King David, verse, six, who, verse 16, who is called Christ. And because he is the Christ, he will rescue all of God's people. <laughs> That's what Christ means. It means Messiah or anointed one, the, the one sent, the one promised, the Redeemer, the rescuer. Jesus is the Christ. 
I believe that Matthew shows us whom Jesus is from to show us whom Jesus is for. I read a tweet this week from Pastor Sam Albury. He says, Matthew's genealogy includes the outcast, scandalous, and foreigner. The family Jesus comes from anticipates the family he has come for. That's why the women are in there. Ladies, Jesus came for you. That's why the Gentiles are in there. Non-Jews. That's us. He came for us. That's why the notorious sinners are in there. That's why the, there are people in there that nobody has ever heard of. Because Jesus came for the unexpected. He came for the unlikely. He came for the unknown. And He came for the undeserving. Jesus came to redeem the lost. Remember Galatians chapter 3, verse 28? There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter whether the world values you or not. doesn't matter if you pretended to be a prostitute or you were a prostitute or you went to visit a prostitute, or you killed a woman's first husband. doesn't matter if you're from this nation, or that nation, or what color your skin is. It doesn't matter if you're a natural-born citizen, or if you're an immigrant. It doesn't matter if if you've been thumbs up or thumbs down. Jesus has come to rescue you. That's what Matthew is saying with his family tree. That's what Matthew is saying with Jesus' genealogy. He's saying that Jesus is going to realize all of God's promises, reign over all of God's kingdom, and rescue all of God's people who repent and put their faith in Him. Jesus did it by dying on the cross and then walking out of His tomb. Jesus is the Christ. And so may He get all the glory.